on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, Mormon Church Sex Abuse Cover-Ups. There has been so much in the news recently related to Mormonism that I've been covering, as best as I'm able here at Radio Free Mormon, but there was an important article that appeared in the Daily Mail about 10 days ago regarding a compilation of different episodes of child, not just child, I should just say sex abuse cover-ups because some of it involves adults as well. So it's not just for children anymore. The Mormon church is covering up adult sex abuse as well. And this article from the Daily Mail covers different examples of it. So I wanted to get to that today because I think it's important to understand that this is not just an isolated incident in Arizona. For instance, the Gilbert, Arizona case, which I think they touch on. There are other examples, and some of them we haven't even touched on or covered at Radio Free Mormon. We've been so busy. So let's get to this article and see what it has to say. First off, here we go. It is the Daily Mail. I took the article and I uh, copied and pasted it into a Word document so I could enlarge the lettering so that you would be able to read along with me, hopefully. And it is the Daily Mail. Let me see if I can find it here on my screen. Here it is. All right, Daily Mail. This is the headline, Mormon leaders accused of covering up a decades-long epidemic of sexual abuse and incest that rivals scandals in the Catholic Church. Victims say perpetrators are protected, but the abused are forced to forgive their attackers. And then in typical Daily Mail format, they bullet point some of the main items they'll be covering in the article. Bullet point, DailyMail.com has combed through reams of court documents and spoken to around a dozen church members to expose the true scale of alleged abuse. Bullet point, victims claim abuse is rampant, with the church facing legal action over allegations it consistently hides cases from police to avoid costly lawsuits. Bullet point, their stories, which span decades, claim the church has allowed abusers to operate unchallenged with women and children made to suffer as a result. Bullet point, have you experienced abuse within the Mormon church? Contact miles.dilworth at mailonline.com. So if you have not contacted this individual, if you want to contact this individual, Miles Dilworth, the writer of this article, he's the senior reporter for, or a senior reporter for dailymail.com. It was published on November 19th, 2023, and updated on November 21st, 2023. All right, so here we go with the article. Mormon leaders are covering up an epidemic of sexual abuse that rivals scandals exposed within the Catholic Church, victims have alleged to DailyMail.com. The Utah-based religion has repeatedly protected perpetrators. That's a line that you could hear in general conference. Has repeatedly protected perpetrators and punished those who speak out in a bid to protect its reputation at all costs, it is claimed. Victims believe abuse is rampant, with Mormon families said to be suffering extremely high rates of incest. Hmm. Young girls subjected to horrific abuse say they are told to forgive their assailants and discouraged from reporting it to the police. Yeah, that's a pattern that we've heard before, isn't it? The Mormon church has been embroiled, good word, embroiled in several high-profile cases in which it has been accused of covering up sexual abuse but the true scale of the crisis has never before been exposed. Now, DailyMail.com. 
has combed through reams of court documents and police records and interviewed more than a dozen current and former members of the church to expose the full extent of victims' claims. Their stories span decades of abuse in which ecclesiastical leaders are alleged to have maintained a pattern and practice of hiding crimes from authorities. And so now here we have a photograph of one of these individuals. This is Katie Medley, 35, has blasted the Mormon church for failing to take action against a doctor and ecclesiastical leader who allegedly sexually abused her and around 200 other women. Yes, so adults as well as children. But of course, it tends to be women, doesn't it? Women and children who are the victims of the abuse within the Mormon church. Here's another picture. This is Jared and Ashley Jones. They filed a, bomb, a bombshell lawsuit accusing the Mormon church of a pattern of abuse cover-ups in an attempt to protect itself from costly lawsuits. So we have some photographs of some individuals who are, I presume, going to be mentioned in the story. And here's another picture. This is Lindsay Lyman, left aged 45. In this case, it will be top. This top picture, she's aged 45. Bottom, as a young girl, same person, claims the church covered up her abuse at the hands of an older boy in her church who went on to rape a woman years later. Our shocking investigation today reveals more bullet points. In Oregon, three women have accused the church of failing to protect them from a Mormon doctor who allegedly assaulted more than 200 female patients. That's one of the stories we have not covered yet on Radio Free Mormon. In California, the church allegedly fostered and encouraged the silence and the cover-up of child sexual abuse, including that of a three-year-old girl. In Colorado, bishops are accused of perpetuating a cycle of incestual abuse within a toxic family by failing to report it to the authorities. And in Utah, ecclesiastical leaders allegedly failed to act on reports a member of the church was abusing a young girl, leaving the perpetrator free to rape another woman in 2014. It comes after a court in Arizona earlier this month ruled that church officials who knew that a member was sexually abusing his daughter had no duty to report the abuse to police because the information was received during a spiritual confession. That is the Gilbert, Arizona case that we have covered here at Radio Free Mormon. Victims who spoke to DailyMail.com said this was repeatedly used as an excuse for bishops to hide abuse from authorities, often allowing it to carry on for years. So the Gilbert, Arizona case, as horrific as it is, is just the tip of the iceberg. Women claimed church culture acts as a breeding ground for abuse, pointing to the belief within Mormonism that local bishops, laymen with no pastoral training, are divinely called by God and led by spiritual revelations, meaning their authority cannot be questioned. It is also alleged that church leaders have repeatedly brushed cases of abuse under the carpet to allow young men to complete missionary programs a crucial rites of passage trip in which Mormons are sent to spread the word of the gospel. Kathleen Wallace, 39, who claims her abuse by a family member was kept under wraps by the church, said she believed that sexual abuse was an epidemic within the church that was just as bad as the Catholic church, if not far worse. The mother of two added, I think that there's extremely high rates of incest and sexual abuse going on in Mormon homes. 
this kind of abuse is rampant. The Mormon Church did not respond to a request for comment from DailyMail.com. The next section of this article is titled, Abused by a Trusted Doctor. By the way, would you please take the time right now, hit like on this podcast, please hit subscribe, please leave a comment in the comment section, even if it's just to say that you were here. All of that helps with the algorithms, easy for you to say, and helps bring this message to a wider audience. And I think that would be a good thing for more people to find out about this information. Don't you? All right. Abused by a trusted doctor. Nicole Snow, 32, grew up in a Mormon family in Wilsonville, Oregon. There she attended church with Harvard graduate Dr. David Farley who was also an ecclesiastical leader and stake high counselor. Okay, so he's one of the two counselors in the stake presidency. Or is that true? Are they using this in a different way? A stake high counselor. In other words, he could be in the high council. Okay, so either in the high council or in the stake presidency. As an esteemed community figure, Farley counted most of the women there as his patients. Snow's mother began seeing her to see him, began taking her, excuse me, let me start that again. So Snow's mother began taking her to see him, Farley, when she was aged 15, after she complained of chronic stomach pain. But under the guise of seeking to relieve her constipation, he allegedly performed an ungloved rectal examination. He later digitally penetrated her vagina, causing immense physical pain and suggested that he break her hymen to ensure sex was more pleasurable Snow claims. Between 2007 and 2009, Dr. Farley allegedly sexually abused and harassed her on at least five occasions. The claims are contained within a civil lawsuit filed by four women, including Snow, in October 2020, which details egregious allegations of sexual assault against the once respected doctor. Since then, more than 200 women have come forward with similar allegations of sexual abuse against Farley. I don't think he's a doctor anymore, so we can probably dispense with that title. According to a letter sent to the Oregon Attorney General in September last year, the women, many of whom are Mormon, claim that Farley used his position within the community to gain their trust before grooming and sexually abusing them. The lawsuit was filed shortly after Farley had his license revoked by the Oregon Medical Board. That's what I meant about I don't think he's any longer a doctor. And think about this. First off, you go to see your doctor in whom you already have a great deal of trust. He's the doctor. He's the representative of the, medic, the medical profession. He's there to help you. But on top of that, this doctor is a leader within the Mormon church, the local Mormon church. So there's a double amount of trust that you would expect Mormons would have when they go to see this doctor. A panel of medical professionals found Farley forced numerous young girls to undergo unnecessary pelvic examinations and photographed children's breasts and genitalia under the guise of conducting a puberty study. Oh my gosh. Now, when it talks about a panel of medical professionals, this would presumably be those representatives of the medical board, the Oregon Medical Board, who ended up revoking his license. So they found, this panel did, they found that he had done these things and therefore they revoked his license. This is different and separate from any criminal charges proved in a court of law. All right, 
So that's how he stopped being a doctor. Here's another picture of an individual. This is Nicole Snow, 32. Claims she was sexually abused by fellow Mormon church member, Dr. David Farley, but says church leaders refused to, or refuse, it says, to take action against him. Okay, so there's a picture of her. Here's another picture. This is Lisa Pratt. She's 36. She claims Dr. Farley fondled her breast during a checkup with her two-week-old son. See, this is amazing to me. I don't know the details of this, and maybe at some point I'll get into the details and find out more about this particular case. But she goes in for a checkup with her two-week-old son, and she's the one who ends up getting her breast fondled by the doctor. Wild. And reprehensible. Here's the doctor. Here's Dr. Farley. Nothing crazy in those eyes. I don't know why anyone would not trust this man. It looks like he has a Christmas tie on. Here's Farley, had his license revoked by the Oregon Medical Board in 2020 or 2020 after a panel of medical professionals found he sexually abused minors under the guise of a puberty study. All right, there's the former doctor. Yet, three of Farley's victims, including Snow, have alleged to DailyMail.com that not only did this doctor abuse them sexually, but that the Mormon church has refused to excommunicate or even hold a disciplinary hearing for Farley, despite their repeated pleas for action. So here we have this juxtaposition of the Oregon Medical Board moving quickly to have hearings, gain evidence, and issue a ruling saying you can't be a doctor anymore. While the Mormon church is dragging its feet, not having any kind of hearings, and apparently allowing him to remain a member in good standing in the church even though this kind of thing is going on, and even though the medical board in Oregon has already taken the action it's taken. Farley retired from his Oregon practice a month before his license was revoked. Of course, I mean, he saw it coming. These things take months and even years sometimes. But the women believe he has since moved to Idaho and then Utah, where he is still an active member of the church community, with nothing stopping him from practicing again. I think that having your, okay, look, I'm not a doctor. I am a lawyer though, but I, I got a feeling that if you've had your license to practice medicine revoked in Oregon, that could be an impediment to getting a license to practice medicine in a different state. It's an age of computers. I don't think that's going to be something that's not going to be found out by a state where you're seeking admission. Okay. Um, Snow says, I know of children in the area he's living at right now who he is attending church with. That's a problem. He's still around children, gaining trust in the community. He's a very dangerous man. This continues with a quote from Snow. We just want action from the church. Snow said she was vulnerable to abuse due to her upbringing in the church, which failed to educate her on her sexuality. It was only after speaking to other women about their experiences with the doctor that she realized she had been abused. One of those women was Katie Medley, who moved to Oregon in 2016. The mother of four, that's Katie Medley, claims Farley recruited her as a patient at a church function. He went on to sexually abuse and harass her on at least 10 occasions, including digitally penetrating her vagina and performing non-consensual membrane sweeps of her vagina the lawsuit states. Medley recalled one particularly traumatic incident in 2019 
in which she claims Farley tried to sexually stimulate her by fondling her with his ungloved hand during a pap smear. I just remember being in my car after and sobbing uncontrollably, she told DailyMail.com. I was so confused because he had, sex he had sexually stimulated me. I felt like I was going to vomit. Lisa Pratt, 36, also began talking to Medley about their alleged abuse at the hands of Farley. Pratt moved to Oregon in 2015 when she was pregnant with her third child and was recommended to Farley by a friend. She claims Farley fondled her breast during a checkup with her two-week-old son in 2016. While Snow and Medley have both left the church, Pratt remains a member. Pratt told DailyMail.com that while she believed the Mormon church was a flawed organization that likes to pretend it's not, there were still many good people within it. I have no complaint or argument with either of those statements. I, too, believe that the church is a flawed organization that likes to pretend it's not and that there are still many good people within it. I'm not sure that's a good enough reason for everyone to remain, but apparently it is for her. Now we got a picture of the Salt Lake Temple. And it goes on with the article. The church did report Farley to the police. Yay. Okay, let's just take a second here. And comparing this with the Gilbert, Arizona case or that Arizona case um, where they did not report to the police. This is a step in the right direction, okay? At least they reported him to the police. Otherwise, he might be still practicing, for goodness sake, and continuing to abuse patients. But Medley says its refusal to discipline him makes zero sense, adding that it sent a message to women that if you come forward, you're not going to be protected. I could cheat on my husband tomorrow and I would be excommunicated like that, she said. But he can molest children and women and no one asks a goddamn question. She added that the patriarchal structures within the church meant women are not supposed to question the men. That is absolutely correct. And on top of that, by the way, the men are not supposed to question the men who are above them. It's all very patriarchal and hierarchical. They are the ones that hold the priesthood, she added. They have all the power. Farley's victims are now urging Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum to open a criminal investigation into his conduct after a Clackamas County grand jury declined to indict him after hearing testimony from 41 witnesses. All right. Well, that's uh, interesting and significant that a grand jury declined to indict him after hearing testimony from 41 witnesses. It seems unusual, but there it is. Apparently, that's the fact. Their appeal remains under review by the Oregon Department of Justice, a spokesman said. Dailymail.com has contacted Farley for comment via his LinkedIn account. The church's alleged lack of action against him stands in stark contrast to its supposed excommunication of Tim Ballard, the anti-trafficking activist whose exploits were turned into the hit film Sound of Freedom. Yeah, they apparently have excommunicated him. No one has completely confirmed that, but the rumors are out there that Tim Ballard has been excommunicated. So if that's true, why are you excommunicating Tim Ballard but not excommunicating this Dr. Farley character? 
It has been suggested that the decision to do so was driven by a desire to protect itself, the church, to protect itself from legal proceedings after Tim Ballard was said to have claimed his actions have been approved by church elders. Yeah, so if you rope the church into your uh, your machinations, your bad acts, your abuse, and then say the church is supporting it, then perhaps you will get excommunicated. You'll even get a, a letter, a public statement condemning you. But if you're just abusing the uh, the women and the children of the church, but you're not saying the church supports it, then you seem to get a pass. At least that's what the comparison of these two cases would indicate. Medley believes Farley's, that's Dr. Farley's case, is simply not high profile enough and that a disciplinary hearing would give him the opportunity to run his mouth against the church. Hmm. Oh, here's a picture of Tim Ballard. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is a recent picture. I think it is a more recent picture of him. He's starting to look a little bit like a dissolute William Shatner in this picture. The next section is called a pattern of cover-ups. A pattern of cover-ups. A bombshell lawsuit filed in California in August claims the Mormon hierarchy has demonstrated a pattern of behavior to protect itself from costly lawsuits. The complaint lodged by former lifelong Mormons Jared and Ashley Jones accuses the church of covering up and concealing child sexual abuse from police, including that perpetrated against their three-year-old daughter in December last year. Jared, 41, who claims he was also a victim of abuse as a child by a church member, told DailyMail.com that the culture of the Mormon church propagates abuse. It's systemic, he said. What they are concerned with is making sure that as many people stay in the flock as possible. The amount of sexual abuse that happens within the church is astounding. That is the conclusion of Jared's quote. In their complaint against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, Jared and Ashley, 40, allege that local leaders failed to report the sexual abuse of their daughter to authorities when they were made aware of it by the perpetrator's father. Okay, so this is the abuse on their daughter by another boy. They allege the 12-year-old abuser was allowed to partake in church activities at which other children were present for months, at which other children were present for months after leaders knew of multiple allegations against him. So once again, exposing other children to harm and abuse by this 12-year-old, even though the leaders knew about the allegations against him. Meanwhile, families were kept in the dark, it is claimed. Of course they were. This is the standard MO. We don't tell the members of the ward about it, so they don't know what's going on, so they can't protect their children or take whatever steps they feel are necessary to protect their children from an alleged abuser in the ward, in the flock, among the sheep. According to the complaint, the boy admitted the abuse to Riverside County Sheriff's Department and his father reported it to the local bishop. All right, so he's admitted it. But the bishop declined to also report the abuse to the authorities as mandated by California state law, the lawsuit states. California and more than 20 other states require clergy to report child sex abuse and neglect, but have an exemption for information gleaned during spiritual confessions. Jared, however, argues that the abuse was reported to the church by the perpetrator's father and thus does not constitute a direct confession. 
He claims it took the church 71 days to eventually make a police report. But only after Ashley made a social media post condemning their failure to do so. Isn't that so typical? The church fails to do the right thing to protect its members until they're called out publicly and they're shamed into doing the right thing. The church of Jesus Christ, the real church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ should not have to be shamed into doing the right thing. The couple allege in their filing that the church's failure to report the abuse is part of a broader pattern within the church that ratifies the abusive conduct and perpetuates a culture of concealment while encouraging a lack of cooperation among Mormon church members with law enforcement. Jared, who was raised in a large Mormon family and whose father was heavily involved in the church leadership, has now withdrawn his membership in disgust. He told DailyMail.com that the church's handling of his daughter's abuse has finally helped him process how they also failed him as a child when he was sexually abused by an older boy within the church. So what happened to him as a kid is happening to his daughter. He's had it. He's out. He says, until they stop covering their own ass and start taking care of the children, we are going to continue to see this pattern of abuse. All right, next section, titled Moral Arguments Are Irrelevant. The Jones story echoes a similarly shocking case that unfolded in Arizona, in which church lawyers told a Mormon bishop he could not report a member of his ward who had confessed to sexually abusing his daughter due to clergy penitent privilege. Paul Douglas Adams, yes, we've heard that name before and done an entire episode on him within the past month, very disturbing. It was one of the most difficult episodes. Maybe I think it was the most difficult episode I've ever done on this show at Radio Free Mormon. Paul Douglas Adams continued raping his daughter for seven years. After he admitted to his bishop, John Herod, that his behavior was out of control. Adams was arrested by Homeland Security agents in 2017 with no help from the church. It was in spite of of the church that he was found out and arrested. He killed himself in custody before he could stand trial. A lawsuit filed by the three Adams children accused the Mormon church of negligence and conspiring to cover up child sex abuse to avoid costly lawsuits and protect its reputation. And here they have a nice picture of church president Russell M. Nelson. By the way, there were a number of other photographs that occurred throughout this article. Um, when I copied and pasted it, it just picked the one on top. There were sets of like 10 for each one of these. But um, I think that these are representative enough for us to get the idea as to what's going on and who the parties are. Earlier this month, a judge dismissed the complaint, ruling that officials had no duty to report the abuse. That was the story that we covered here. But the case revealed that a helpline established in 1995 for bishops to contact when cases of abuse are reported to them, connects to a Salt Lake City law firm, Curtin McConkie. I mean, we've gotten so used to this idea because we've known about it for quite a while, that when you pick up that phone, that hotline, that sex abuse hotline, you're not calling a psychologist, you're not calling a psychiatrist, you're not calling a social worker, you're calling a lawyer. And that lawyer is there to protect the church. He's not there to protect the victim. 
He's not there to help out in any meaningful way with the people who have been abused. What he's there to do is to protect the church. And because of that, that ends up often, as in this case, meaning the victim be damned, we're going to protect the church. So we have this strange situation in the church where the church leaders have gotten into the habit of thinking that the church as an entity is more important to them than the church as a membership. In other words, they are so busy trying to protect the church that they are not doing their job to protect the members of the church. It's an image versus the reality of the membership and people who are really being hurt and people who are really being traumatized and abused. And those are the people that they leave hanging in the wind. And when they protect the church, they frequently end up protecting the abuser of the victim. And that's what happened in that case. Calls are first filtered by social workers first who determine whether the information they receive is serious enough to be passed on to church attorneys. That's their role. Is it serious enough to be passed on to church attorneys? Which also can mean, uh, is the church potentially liable in this case? Could they end up on the wrong side of the V in a lawsuit in a case like this? And if so, it goes to the attorneys. According to sealed court documents or records obtained by the Associated Press. Right. We know this from the Associated Press's uh, research and investigation, which has been excellent. The helpline is operated not within the church's Department of Family Services, but its Office of Risk Management. Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know? This is risk management. This isn't family services. We're managing the risk to the church, whose role is to protect the institution, the church, from liability in a range of circumstances. A protocol advises those taking the calls to instruct a priesthood leader, which includes bishops and stake presidents, to encourage the perpetrator, the victim, or others who know of the abuse to report it. So part of the protocol is to talk to the bishop or the stake president who's calling you because they found out there's an abuser in the ward or the stake. And part of the protocol is to tell the bishop or stake president to accuse the abuser to report it to the police. We put all the power in the abuser's hand, believe it or not, as to whether they're going to report it to the police. But if the abuser does not, then the state president and the bishop frequently do not either. And that's what happened in this Arizona case with Paul Adams. But it also says, the protocols, but it also says that those taking the call should never advise a priesthood leader to report abuse. The protocol says, the person taking the call should never advise the church leader calling the hotline to report the abuse. Counsel of this nature should come only from legal counsel, and they will find any way they possibly can to tell the bishop or the stake president, don't report the abuse. In fact, from what we've seen, it appears that the only time that they will tell a bishop to report the abuse is if the law in that state absolutely requires them to report the abuse. If it says you can report the abuse, but you don't have to, as was the case in the Arizona situation, the person at Curtin McConkie, the lawyer, told the bishop, you can't report the abuse. Even though the law itself gave the bishop the option and the choice to do so, the information from Salt Lake said, no, you can't. Church lawyers in the Arizona case argued that the moral arguments over whether its officials should report abuse to the police were irrelevant to the law. And it is. It is. 
The moral arguments over whether its officials should report abuse to the police are irrelevant to the law. But it shouldn't be irrelevant to a follower of Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be irrelevant to a person who wants to help those who are being abused. And it shouldn't be irrelevant to a person who wants to get abusers away from the victims and put in a place where they can't abuse any more children. That's the problem. This is the classic statement that happens when you find out that your church, which is supposed to have Jesus Christ at the head, actually has a law firm at the head. And they stop becoming concerned about morality and they become concerned only about the law. Let me read this again. Church lawyers in the Arizona case argued that the moral arguments over whether its officials should report abuse to the police were irrelevant to the law. That tells you everything you need to know about the state of the Mormon church in 2023. The next section is called Nothing Has Changed in Decades. This is about Kathleen Wallace, 39, believes her own childhood abuse case was a major contributing factor to the establishment of the helpline. Oh, really? She and sister, her sister, Rebecca Welch, 48, claimed they were both abused by a family member, but that the church withheld this from their parents and the police. The sisters claimed this allowed the abuse to continue for years. Wallace believes her own harrowing experience tallies with more recent allegations of church cover-ups and shows very little has changed in the decades in between. Wallace and Welch, the two sisters, were one of... Walsh and Welch were one of five siblings. Okay, I would think two of five siblings raised in a devout Mormon family in Colorado. Welch, the second eldest... Maybe they're saying each of those were one of five siblings. Okay. Welch, the second eldest, said she was abused when she was four years old by a close relative, with the assaults continuing continuing until she was 11. So that's seven years. Close relative. Age 15, she spoke to a church counselor about the abuse for the first time, who then arranged an appointment with the local bishop. At the time, her abuser was out on a mission. So I'm guessing then that if she's 15 when she finally reports this, then he was probably around four or five years older than she if he's out on a mission. So when she was 11, he would have been around 16. At the time, her abuser was out on a mission, considered a vital part of a Mormon upbringing. Welch claims the bishop decided it would be too embarrassing to bring the perpetrator home early and it was agreed that no one was to tell the authorities or her parents about the abuse. Oh my gosh. Even the parents are kept in the dark, according to these allegations. So here's a picture of a family. There's Kathleen Wallace with her family, I believe it is. And it says, uh, Wallace, now 39, pictured second from right with her family. And then it gives the names and the ages of the other members of her family. So there she is today. And here she is. Wallace is right. She's the baby with her older sister, Rebecca Welch, now 48. So there's a picture of them when they were young and at or near the time of the abuse. Welch claims a church bishop told her not to inform police or her parents of the abuse she was suffering by a close relative 
who went on to also abuse Wallace. I remember, she said, I remember the bishop saying something about arresting a returned missionary the moment he stepped off the plane and that he didn't feel like that would be a good thing for anyone. Okay, well, I don't know what he's thinking, but obviously he's taking this, what he conceives of as a horrible situation. I think I saw that happening recently, actually, a, a returning missionary getting arrested when he get off the plane. It might be a good thing for somebody, you know, but why does that scenario have to be the only way it can go down, Bishop? Why can't something else be done? There's a thousand and one other alternatives to arresting him when he gets off the plane. He, he's using this for manipulative effect to get her to agree to not do it. That's, that much seems clear to me. Unbeknown to Welch at the time, the same family member had also begun to abuse her younger sister two years prior. And that's Wallace. Wallace, now a mother of two, said her abuse began when she was just four years old. But it wasn't until she was 11 that she felt able to tell her parents. So this is a, a young man. He's in the home. He has access to both of these girls, which leads one to think that he might be a brother, a stepbrother, possibly a cousin, but someone who is nearby and is with them with some regularity, I think. Only then did the truth come out. It wasn't until she was 11 that she felt able to tell her parents, and that's the second, the younger of the two girls being abused. Only then did the truth come out. It transpired that all of us had been dealing with sexual abuse and that my sister had gone for help from the bishop years prior and everyone had kept it a secret, Wallace said. She claims the church then took responsibility for failing to report the abuse and began to pay for mental health care for the family. After a while, however, the church decided that the bills were getting too high and pulled the plug. Kathleen and Rebecca's parents threatened to sue for breach of fiduciary responsibility, and the matter was settled privately. Kathleen claims the church paid out $150,000. At no point, however, did the church report the abuse to the authorities, the sister said. So we'll make some token payments here up to a certain point for mental health counseling, for the kids, but we're not going to report this guy to the police. And when the bills get too high, we're pulling the plug on it. The next section is called Victims Left to Fend for Themselves. Cases of reoffending within the church are not uncommon. Lindsay Lyman claims Mormon officials failed to report her abuser to the police when her family went to them for help, leaving the perpetrator free to rape another woman years later. Lyman, 45, said she began being sexually abused by an older boy in her church in Springville, Utah, when she was around 10 years old. So that would be around 35 years ago. But she claims that when she and her mother told their bishop, he said that under no circumstances should the police be involved and that the matter would be handled internally. When a bishop says that to a member who's a faithful member who believes in the bishop's keys, his discernment that he's a judge in Israel, there is a belief, there's a reliance upon that, that the bishop will take care of things internally and that I don't need to do anything else because the bishop, the church, is going to handle it. And that is exactly the kind of feeling church leaders want the members to have, and then the church leaders do nothing. Lyman, however, is unaware of what, if any, action was taken as the abuse continued for several more years until he went on a mission. 
Yeah, when you go on a mission, it's a pretty sure indicator that number one, if you're a guy, you have the Melchizedek priesthood and you are you have a temple recommend because you have to go through the temple. So you can pass all the temple recommend questions and apparently nothing was done. She claims her abuser was Devin Hartman, 48, who was later handed two life sentences after he was convicted of raping a 28-year-old woman in June of 2014. And there is a picture of Devin Hartman. There's an earlier picture from the Fulton County Sheriff's Office on top and a later picture there below with the mustache. Lyman said she 100% holds the church responsible for leaving him free to reoffend. I know my mom cared, but in the Mormon church, you follow what your bishop says. You don't go against them, she said. Since Hartman's conviction, Lyman says she has stopped attending church, although she is technically still a member. It just really angers me that the people who have been hurt are the ones that are just left to fend for themselves, she said. I don't want to promote or be a part of an organization that does that. Lyman believes that much of the abuse within the church goes unreported, in part because victims are often told to forgive their abusers. Indeed, Mormon leaders have given a number of talks stressing the need for forgiveness in even the most heinous of circumstances, while a page on the church's website titled, Is It Possible to Forgive?, cites a passage from the Book of Mormon, intended to help victims forgive those who have harmed you. The Mormon Church has not responded to a request for comment on the victim's allegations. But its 2010 Handbook for Church Leaders says, quote, The first responsibility of the church in abuse cases is to help those who have been abused and protect those who may be vulnerable to future abuse. It's so nice that it says that in the handbook. I just wish the actions of the church mirrored what is in the handbook. It adds, abuse cannot be tolerated in any form. Yeah, the church tolerates abuse. It creates a petri dish in which abuse can grow and fester and foment, and then the church hides it when it learns of it so it can continue to grow in the dark. It doesn't just tolerate abuse. It facilitates it and it enables it. Lyman, however, disagrees. Uh, she disagrees as well as I do. The church and its attorneys just want to shove it under the rug and act like nothing happened, she said. Exactly. And that is the end of the article from the Daily Mail. So we can see that there are a number of different cases that are covered there, a number of different situations, which do show a very disturbing pattern of how the church covers up child and adult sex abuse cases, protects the perpetrators at the expense of the victims, allows the victims to continue to be abused, and even creates the possibility, and in some cases, the actuality of future victims be being abused by the same perpetrator because the church refuses to take any action in reporting these things to the police, to the local authorities, to taking steps to get the perpetrator away from the victims. All right. Well, that is the end of that article. That is the end of this program. Once again, please hit like, please hit subscribe. That is about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.